Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.01 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 14th of January, 2021. This is episode 346 of Bitcoin and Dergigi has joined Mastodon. Yep, Dergigi uh, messaged me this morning or late last night and uh, discovered that he had followed me. He is at Dergigi at BitcoinHackers.org. He's Dergigi on Twitter. If you have not been following Dergigi, you really should. Uh, Really good guy. Uh, I I, honestly highly recommend it. 10 out of 10 would follow again. And and I did. I did. Now, uh, let's talk about a little bit about the mass exodus that's going on from well, pretty much every major platform to every other platform under the sun. In fact, I just got a, uh, a tweet just came over my, yeah, here it is, over my uh, feed. And I am still using Twitter, but I'm also using Mastodon. I'm trying to figure out uh, ways to get them to both work together. Uh, I, I just don't feel that it's necessary to completely abandon Twitter. It, wait a minute, let me, let me back up. It has nothing to do with necessity. It has everything to do with some people who are like, you know, having, are we having ethical issues by still remaining on Twitter? Is it something that is bad? And I, I tend to think the following. <clears throat> if we all up and leave, right? Just get up and go. Uh, then all the noobs are the noobs that are going to influx on this bull run are going to come in and they are going to be beset on all sides by the evil forces that are wolves and shit coiners and altcoiners and the I mean they're going to be sold XRP even though XRP has some really bad news coming down the pipe we'll get to that shit later today if there's nobody there to even lend a helping hand then the then there's going to be a lot of people that are doomed. So that's why I'm still using Twitter and not 100% gone to Mastodon like some people have. Some people have completely 100% stayed on Twitter. I I think a mix between the two is okay. If I remember, <clears throat> I will get to a development uh, a, a development that has allowed me to be able to be more functional on both of the platforms at the same time. And I'm talking about Moa Party. I'm going to put that up because things have changed, but we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that later. Anyway, that that's my reasoning for not completely leaving uh, Twitter. But like I said, I'm doing my best to make sure that my presence is heard on both platforms simultaneously. It's not it's not hard to do, but it ain't easy to do either. Uh, we'll get to we'll get to all that. Uh, now, considering that we, we start open the show talking about Dergigi coming over to Mastodon, <clears throat> we need to talk about Jack Dorsey crying into his microphone yesterday in his massive tweet storm, both defending his ban on Trump and then praising Bitcoin, and I find it rather disingenuous. I, I don't know if he's truly being genuine. If he is, hey, more you know, whatever. But I don't know, man. That sounded to me like a kiss-ass thing. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> Jeff Benson has a write-up on it from Decrypt.co. He wrote that one sometime last night, I suppose. Twitter CEO Dorsey praises Bitcoin while defending Trump ban. In a tweet storm today, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey addressed last week's ban of Donald Trump, the orange man, from the platform and paused to hail Bitcoin's ability to enable decentralized control. 
Orange Man was booted from the social network in the aftermath of last week's U.S. Capitol attacks after Twitter deemed his tweets likely to incite further violence. I'm going to pause and at least appreciate Decrypt.co for not using the fucking word insurrection. I have, if, if you are on any manner of mainstream media platforms like you know, listening to NPR, CNN, NBC, ABC, any of the news outlets, it is a unified word. And that scares the piss out of me because that means that we've got coordinated propaganda. They're using the term insurrection. It is not an insurrection. What it, was it an insurrection when they stormed the Capitol for the Kavanaugh hearings? No, it wasn't an insurrection then. Oh, God, no, 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 not an insurrection. But it's an insurrection now, and it's a unified front. If you don't believe me, turn on any one of the mainstream media and they're using the term insurrection and they're all using it together. Okay, that should that should cause you pause if it's not causing you pause now. <clears throat> anyway, Trump was booted from the social network in the aftermath of last week's capital attacks. Thank you, Decrypt. Quote, I believe this was the right decision for Twitter, he wrote in today's post. We face an extraordinary and untenable circumstance forcing us to focus all of our actions on public safety. Offline harm as a result of online speech is demonstrably real and what drives our policy and enforcement above all. The CEO expressed mixed feelings about the ban, which some have criticized as setting a dangerous precedent, but then pivoted to stated that Twitter will work towards a more, or rather work towards more transparency in our moderation operation. However, he said, all this can't erode a free and open global internet. Well, gee, Jack, I don't see how. So what's a popular and powerful social media app to do? (laughs) Embrace Bitcoin. Why the fuck not? Quote, the reason I have so much passion for Bitcoin is largely because of the model it demonstrates, a foundational internet technology that is not controlled or influenced by any single individual or entity. He wrote, If all that sounds at odds with the influence Twitter exerts over political conversations, Dorsey suggested he's working to reconcile the differences via the firm's Blue Sky Initiative, which seeks to create an open, decentralized standard for social media. Whether or not that's possible or still desirable remains to be tweeted. (laughs) Yeah, I I see what you did there. Good job, guys. Good job. That's That's not bad. Uh, he's been talking about the Blue Sky Initiative for, oh, I think well over a year and a half. And if you're not aware what that is, uh, Jack started tweeting out about how he was very concerned that Twitter had so much control over people's, you know, social media experience and wanted to basically decentralize the damn thing. But here we are a year and a half later with him banning the most uh, influential and powerful man on the planet at the time, not because he's orange man, but because he's president of the United States. And with that comes the power of the global reserve currency, the United States dollar. So arguably, yes, he's the most powerful man on the fucking planet. I don't care if you love him or hate him. It doesn't really matter. I honestly don't really recognize the guy at all. I'm like going, none of these people give a shit about me. (laughs) Why would I give a shit about any of them in either event? Look, I see I see Jack probably caught between a rock and a hard place, but it still doesn't excuse this shit. What he should have come out and said is, I have, just because I'm CEO of Twitter means I have, like, I, I don't, doesn't mean that I have total control over Twitter. Maybe he doesn't have the voting shares. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to waste my time to look into it. It's not worth my time at all. Like, no, literally, like at all. So... It doesn't really matter because what he what he did is he came out with this milk toast tweet thread, and honestly, I'm just getting kind of tired of it. He he, you know, starts fawning over Bitcoin at the same time that he's saying that we're in, we're in total control of what you see, what you do, what you hear. And honestly, I I don't care because I get to go over to Mastodon where I have already been listed as an alt right individual. <laughs> No shit. I shit you not. It's some initiative. It's a block list for uh, the Federation of uh, Instances for Mastodon and probably probably uh, there's a couple of other ones that operate on that model. 
But in either event, Bitcoin hackers, I'm sorry, Novak, it's all my fault. Ed Verrett's, Ben Verrett's fault, uh, and a couple other people. We all got listed on this site underneath Bitcoin hackers. And what this site is, by the way, just so you know, it's a block list of all of these places on uh, Macedon, like a list of Macedon instances, so that as a moderator of your instance, you can look at the list and you can just block whole domains, like whole instances from, so that they never come into the federated timeline on your instance. <clears throat> well, I've already made it onto the list for Bitcoin hackers. I believe there are five or six of us that have uh, received what's called receipts of bad behavior as examples of why a, uh, an instance owner would want to block bitcoinhackers.org. Novak, I am so sorry, man. But you know what it was? When uh, Trump got banned, there was like a news story about Twitter. Oh no, what it was was it was Stripe uh, basically deleting Donald Trump's ability to get money for his campaign. And I talked about it where I'm a few you know, shows ago where I'm like, I don't know what he's campaigning for. I thought everything was already done, but whatever. Stripe basically took him offline. And I just retweeted the news story with the, with the lot, with this particular line. I said, if only there was a censorship resistant money, I've been labeled alt-right because of that. And I cannot imagine the size of the pussy that actually looked at that and was offended and go, and got scared. I, and honestly, there's a part of me that thinks that what's really going on is they didn't get scared. They weren't a big pussy. They're being agenda driven. And they're like, anything that we can do at all, any reason that we can even dredge up that somebody might be, quote, alt right, we're going to throw it at them. Although I still call them a pussy. Now, with that said, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit <clears throat> about MeWe. It is yet another social media site. I do not know if it's decentralized. I don't know. I don't know enough about it because I'm kind of like got my head buried a little bit more in, in Mastodon. I'm I'm gonna uh, the more I like I, I released another tutorial video uh, yesterday uh, that I've added to the to Mastodon tutorial thread. If you want to see that thread, <clears throat> go to my profile page on Mastodon. <clears throat> I have tutorial Mastodon tutorials. Uh, thread pinned uh, up at the top on my profile page so you can always get to it because I think it's going to be important. Anyway, I, I did another one yesterday. Well, I, I've been kind of busy with what's going on in Macedon and how it works and what it does and how to make it look more like what I'm used to that I'm not looking at the other shit that, that I'm posting to. So like when I cut a show and you guys see the, over Twitter or Macedon that I've announced that the show is now live, I do that across like every social media platform that I can that I think is worth note. MeWe is one of them. So it's sort of, it's not a Twitter clone. It's like a Facebook clone, except it has a, a slightly better interface. Um, however, it's like all this time that I've been posting to MeWe, it, it has just now come to my attention through Jack Spirico, which I re uh, interviewed <clears throat> a few shows back before Christmas. <clears throat> Uh, he alerted me to the fact that uh, I hate money. No, literally, he said that. That's <laughs> what I like about Jack. He comes off as a dick, but what it is is he spent so much time in the, in uh, C-suite and uh, corporate, you know, corporate life that he's. It's not that he's a dick. It's like he's just not going to waste his time or anybody else's time. So I post up, uh, you know, join me today for episode three forty four of Bitcoin and today's topics, the twelfth anniversary of the BTC first BTC transaction, yada 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 yada, and then I uh, put the uh, link to the SoundCloud on it and uh, go about my way, you know. I don't think anything of it. Well, later on, in, later on in the day, uh, Jack came back and said, "Why do you hate money?" <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He says that a lot, by the way. He's like, "Why do you hate money?" Uh, well, apparently, I've been I've been hating money because I've been doing it wrong. And he pointed that shit out because he clipped a, a YouTube video of one of his own tutorials for MeWe. <clears throat> Now, what that tutorial said was how to make your MeWe posts shareable by default. All right, here we go. There's the crux of the biscuit right there, okay? On all these social media platforms, it looks like 
you know, well, I mean, I should have known this and it should be fucking obvious, but sometimes it's just not. You just like, you get used to using Facebook and the way it works and you just get used to the way the defaults are set up and you go to another platform and you don't even assume that the defaults are there. You just don't even think about it. Well, the defaults for me, we, when you post something, it defaults to only like only people that follow you can share your post. So nobody, like I got <clears throat> almost no interactions on MeWe until Jack said, why do you hate money? And give, gives me this, vid this video tutorial. I had to go in when I, I, I reposted that particular episode announcement and went down to the bottom <clears throat> and had to reset the post to where it's public and shareable by everyone. Once, uh, from what I understand, and I'll, I'll look at this again today, from what I understand, that resets the default on MeWe posts for all your, your, like all the posts that you do after that should all go to public, but I won't know until I, I do this show and, and, and announce it. But be aware, as you move <clears throat> to other social media platforms, make damn sure that you get into or you figure out how your posts are going to be able to be shared, seen, moved around, read, all that stuff. Go spend the time to find out because I've been doing this posting to MeWe for a better part of probably six months and it's all been a waste of fucking time because I didn't take the time to go look at the default settings because I just made the horrible thing I just assumed I just like I made an ass out of you and me. And I just assumed that it was going to be like Facebook and it's not. So there's that. All right. All the social media stuff is now done. Let's get over here to crypto potato who tells us that after buying over $1 billion in BTC, MicroStrategy is going to host an educational Bitcoin conference. Boy, I'll bet that open bar and food is going to be nice. <laughs> The NASDAQ-listed business intelligence giant MicroStrategy will host an oh, online, oh God. See, I find out when you find out. We'll host an online conference to educate large organizations about, about the potential merits of investing in Bitcoin. Called Bitcoin for Corporations, the initiative has also received support from other industry giants such as Gemini, Binance, Coinbase, Fidelity, Grayscale, and more. The company's founder and CEO, Michael Saylor, announced the initiative on his Twitter account and advertised it as a free online accelerated course in Bitcoin strategy and tactics to grow your company and create shareholder value. <clears throat> the first blo uh, block will take place on February 3rd. It will cover a review of how BTC could serve as a treasury reserve asset and which macroeconomic factors are behind its corporate and institutional op adoption. The presenters of this part will be Sailor and Stonebridge founder and CEO Ross Stevens. Later on, the online stage will take MicroStrategy's president and CFO Fong Lee to provide an overview of different ways corporations can integrate Bitcoin into their treasury reserve strategies. Let's let's stop for a second. CFO Fong Lee was in the news last week because he was selling a shit ton of his MicroStrategy shares and people were like pointing saying, see, even their own CFO doesn't like this shit. <clears throat> and yet here's CFO Fong Lee co-hosting this thing. What did Fong Lee do with that money that he sold? If he actually sold it? And I don't know if he did or didn't because I didn't check the SEC filings, but uh, I, I'm thinking that he may have actually just went in and said, I just want to convert this shit over to, over to Bitcoin and hold the underlying asset that gives the value to his company or to, to his part of the company. Anyway, just saying. Other topics will include legal and regulatory considerations in accounting, taxation, and audit. MicroStrategy, which made BTC its primary treasury, treasury reserve asset last year, will also reveal documentation and information that is used to implement this strategy. The cryptocurrency-related companies that will support the initiative will release their presentations on the second day, February the 4th. Some of the names include uh, Fidelity Digital Asset Services, Galaxy Digital, Coinbase, Binance, Kraken, Grayscale, Gemini, and Genesis. Ever since the NASDAQ-listed firm announced its first BTC purchase in August of 2020, the company has continuously doubled down on its endeavors. Apart from allocating over $1 billion in the cryptocurrency over the course of several months, MicroStrategy also became a full node on the Bitcoin network. Congratulations, pal. 
Seems like you actually may know what you're doing. Michael Saylor, on the other hand, became one of the most vocal BTC advocates. The executive went from doubting it if Bitcoin will continue existing in 2013 to promoting the cryptocurrency to other prominent entrepreneurs, including Tesla's Elon Musk. Additionally, Saylor has revealed that he has a personal stash of 17,700 Bitcoin. Ultimately, he and the company that <clears throat> runs uh, that he runs owns 88 thousand two hundred and two coins in total and it represents 0.42 percent of all bitcoin ever to exist that includes the future supply as well <clears throat> so the conference should be big fun february 3rd and february 4th i think maybe february 5th not not sure but definitely the, the third and fourth so uh go over to microstrategy's uh web page is probably microstrategy.com um and uh, I'm sure it'll be announced on the on the main page. Anyway, ah, achieving Bitcoin anonymity through mixers. Content warning: This is actually a uh, host, not hosted, um, kind of like an advertised article for Bitmix. Um, it yeah, it's promoted by Bitmix, Bitcoin mixing services. So uh, take the rest with whatever grain of salt you want. But I thought that there might be some good information about mixing. In this article, let's get to it. <clears throat> a Bitcoin mixer, also known as a Bitcoin blender or tumbler, is a service designed to ensure the anonymity of Bitcoin transactions using a special mixing algorithm where Bitcoin from several sources are combined and mixed to rid coins of compromising traces of past transactions to hide their origin and protect the privacy and anonymity of users. The architecture of the cryptocurrency is designed in such a way. Wait a minute, what? The architecture of the cryptocurrency is designed in such a way that each of the Bitcoin transactions is recorded in the public unaltered registry on the blockchain so that any member of the community can verify the validity of the of any coin transfer. I think that the architecture of the cryptocurrency is out, completely out of context here. So just whatever the trust in Bitcoin and accordingly, accordingly, its value in the user's eyes is based on this. However, the use of Bitcoin itself is pseudonymous, not anonymous. This opens up opportunities for various intruders who want to find out who owns digital funds in specific wallets, usually containing large amounts of crypto, or who want to track your finances of a specific person and their origins. Quote, various criminal gangs hack crypto exchanges and extract data about you and your Bitcoin address. Thanks to the mandatory KYC AML verification requirements, when you are forced to confirm your personal data and then using analyzers, they can find your main BTC wallet, explained a representative of Bitcoin mixer service, bitmex.biz. And that's the people that are uh, sponsoring this article, so just be aware. In June of 2020, the marketing base of the French Bitcoin hardware wallet company Ledger was hacked, exposing the vulnerability of a, in a system that was once considered to be one of the safest ways to store cryptocurrency. The result of the hack was the leak of personal data and contact information of about 1 million users. That is their names, surnames, mailing addresses, oh God, email addresses and phone numbers, as well as information about customer orders. Although company representatives said at the time that this leak of personal data had no effect on their ledger hardware wallets or their security, as well as the safety on the safety of the company's uh, customers' cryptocurrency, the leak poses a real danger. Yeah, coming to your freaking house, considering they know where you live. <clears throat> this appeared fully six months later, just before Christmas, when the stolen data appeared in the public domain on the dark net. Now that the user data has been disclosed, it is easy to use Bitcoin analysis programs to see how much cryptocurrency you have. So using maximum mixing abilities, okay, Bitcoin mixing services have come a long way. Since Bitcoin was first introduced, the, fir <clears throat> the result of years of trial and error undertaken by various crypto enthusiasts in an attempt to achieve maximum levels of anonymity. The service offers multilingual support, altcoin uh, alt integration and other internet access methods such as Tor, ClearNet, and uh, Node.js. Users can set individual mixing fees in the range of 0.4 to 4%, making it even more difficult for potential attackers to analyze their blockchain activity. They can also use a randomized option, which after mixing will send more than one transaction from the mixing service to your wallet. That's not going to help because it, unless it goes to different addresses, dude, which they target for the cleared coins, making it more difficult to analyze their cryptocurrency transactions. So 
This is for BitMix, Bitcoin mixing services. <clears throat> Before you use them, check them out. I don't know anything about these guys, but the only reason that I, I tell you about this is that, one, it's, it's going to start being important for all of us to start mixing our coins, and that means me. I don't probably, I probably will not use BitMix. I will probably use something like CoinJoin or Wasabi or, uh, oh God, there's so many, there's, there's a couple of really good ones. In either event, yet another mixing service comes online. Be aware, mix at your own risk. Now, speaking of at your own risk, this is, ugh, get ready for cringe. Man who lost Bitcoin in landfills offer or hold on, let me try that again man who lost bitcoin in landfill offers 72 million dollars to dig it up it's talking about a full-scale landfill excavation that's this is not going to be the last time you see this shit <clears throat> scott chipolina is going to tell us about it from decrypt.co he's writing this this morning james howells a 35-year-old IT engineer from Newport, Wales, has appealed to his local council to search a landfill for a hard drive that is said to contain 7,500 Bitcoin. Howes has asked his local council for, for permission to search the landfill before, only to have his request denied, but 7,500 Bitcoin is a lot of money, about $286 million by today's prices. In a renewed effort to convince the council, Howells has now offered 52.5 million British pounds, or $71.6 million U.S., in support of the city's COVID-19 relief fund to finally get his wish. <laughs> Jesus, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It's quite a lot of money still sitting there in a landfill, Howells reportedly said. The Bitcoin hard drive found its way into the landfill by accident, of course. Howells threw it away instead of throwing away an empty hard drive, but he still believes he can track his old Bitcoin down. If I could access the landfill records, I could identify the week that I threw the hard drive away. I could identify the serial number of the bin that it was of that it was in, Howell said. I'd like the opportunity to sit down with the decision makers and present to them an action plan for what we want to do. Howells has also thought out ways to take care of the local environment during his search for the old Bitcoin. We want to employ an inflatable structure to create an airtight seal around the area to stop landfill gases from escaping, he said. There's no guarantee that the hard drive is physically still intact, given the environment it has been in, but Howells remains optimistic for now. Quote, <clears throat> I believe there is still a chance, but the longer this drags on, though, it's less likely to be a possibility, Howell said. Yet, a Newport City Council doesn't seem as eager as Howells, particularly because the money will come from the lost Bitcoin if it's found. There you go. Quote, even if we were able to agree to his request, there is the question of who would meet the cost if the hard drive was not found or was damaged to such an extent that the data could not be recovered. We have therefore been clear that we cannot assist him in the matter. Oh, oh my. Lord have mercy. That's kind of sad. And, you know, but it just demonstrates just, God, how early are we? I mean, we, we may, guys, we may end up with only 15 million Bitcoin by the time it is all said and done. I mean, have I lost some Satoshis? Honestly, I'm not sure. There, I may have Satoshis on some website like Fawcett that I visited, like, I don't know, in 2015 that I just, I just don't remember. Add that to seven, you know, like probably like maybe let's go with a, a like in the next 10 years, a billion people will touch Bitcoin. Hmm. I don't know, man. I'm not saying that that's bad because I mean, hell, it's each one. Each Bitcoin is divided by, you know, you can divide by 100 million and you take one Satoshi and you, with IEEE double float point compliancy, you can be sure all the way down to 16 decimal places, so 1.15 zeros, one Satoshi. That's how far down we can divide. And no, I do not agree with the crappy winemaker Francis Coppola about infinite divisibility means that, that, that it destroys the value prop of Bitcoin. That's bullshit. First of all, because past IEEE double float point compliancy... Dude, you cannot be sure. You, that's why we have IEEE double float point compliance so that engineers that are running calculations down to 16 decimal places 
don't have to be scared of killing somebody. Past that, they're not sure. That's what IEEE double float point compliance actually means. That's why it's important. 17 decimal places is, is we're unsure. 16 decimal places, we can comply with that. So I'm not worried if there's only going to be 15 million Bitcoin by this time it's all said and done. Just saying. <clears throat> Although I am worried about liquidity. Although, honestly, I'm worried about it in, in so far as it's just going to make the price probably go higher. eToro warns users it's running out of crypto to trade due to unprecedented demand. Joshua Mapperson tells us about it from Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Israeli-based platform, exchange platform eToro is struggling to keep up with demand from crypto traders, according to an email sent to users earlier today. Quote, the unprecedented, unprecedented demand for crypto, spelt Bitcoin wrong, assholes, coupled with limited liquidity presents challenges to our ability to support buy orders over the weekend. As a result, the platform is warning of possible limitations to crypto buy orders and that spreads on crypto assets may also be much more wide than usual. eToro has become a victim of its own success. Yesterday, marketing manager Brad Mickelson revealed that in the previous 11 days, 380,000 new users has opened accounts and that trading volumes have surged 25 times higher than the same time in 2020. As of January the 9th, eToro boasted more than 17 million registered users. Quantum Economics founder Matty Greenspan, formerly a market analyst for eToro, told Cointelegraph that the warning notice had was a symptom of a potential up, upcoming liquidity crunch. He advised users on Twitter against trying to move funds off the platform. Oh, dude. <laughs> I won't even get, if you can't figure out why I'm freaking out about that last sentence, you're, you haven't been listening to me enough, okay? I'm just going to continue. Should eToro implement the foreshadowed measures, users will be restricted on their maximum exposure per cryptocurrency and potentially be unable to place new orders. Uh, Greenspan explained that it simply means some users might need to wait in order to buy in. Honestly, we don't even need to go any further than that one on this. <clears throat> Liquidity crunch is coming. And when it does come, yeah, when it does come, Grayscale to dissolve XRP trust due to SEC's Ripple lawsuit. Even Barry Silbert knows when to punch the fuck out. Come on. Jeff Benson writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday, a week after selling all the XRP in its digital large cap fund, crypto asset management company Grayscale Investments is terminating it's XRP Trust. Grayscale's announcement <clears throat> directly references the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's $1.3 billion lawsuit brought last month against Ripple Labs, the driving creative force behind the cryptocurrency, as well as CEO Brad Garlinghouse and Executive Chairman Chris Larson. How come David's not in there? Their CTO. Schwartz. I'm talking about David Schwartz. Anyway, whatever. The SEC has targeted the defendants for their role in selling XRP, which the agency has deemed an unregistered security. XRP is the fourth largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Unlikely, or unlikely. According to today's press release, it is Grayscale's view that it is likely to be increasingly difficult for U.S. investors, including the trust, to convert XRP into U.S. dollars and therefore continue the trust's operations. Therefore, it will liquidate the trust and distribute the proceeds to shareholders minus fees. The trust will terminate following <coughs> distribution of the cash net proceeds, it said. I'm going to pause right there. Yeah, I, I need to pause there because it Gary is basically making a statement while he's making a statement. I, I, I think Barry, did I say Gary? Whatever, Barry Silbert. The fact that Hold on here. What does it say? Likely increasingly difficult for U.S. investors, including the trust, to convert XRP into U.S. dollars. Barry, now I hate XRP. Okay, don't. I am not defending XRP, but this attitude of it has to go to U.S. dollars to have any kind of value. Mm -mm. No, it, it's not that. 
it's not that he's not right, and it's not that he's not right, especially today. I'm just saying that this is the kind of attitude that we're going to have to be battling forever and yawn, okay? That apparent it, that somehow or another, by itself, Bitcoin has no value unless it can be linked to some kind of bullshit fiat currency. Do not fall into that trap. Continuing on. Therefore, Barry Silbert will liquidate the trust. <clears throat> Actually, it didn't say that, but might as well be buried. And distribute the proceeds to shareholders minus fees. Oh, it's a boondoggle. The trust will terminate following distribution of the net net cash proceeds, the company said. It's another piece of bad news for Ripple and XRP, which is being delisted by exchanges such as Coinbase. However, things are less dire in Asia. According to reporting today from the block, uh, Japan's financial services agency said that it is not an, uh, uh, it is not uh, a security. Oh, God. It is clearly a security. Despite Grayscale's move, the price of XRP is actually up for the day. And that's where I'm going to end this shit right now because that's just ludicrous. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities. It's the future. Let's see. Oil is down for the future by a quarter of a point. $52.79 buys you uh, West Texas intermediate. Brent North Sea trading up higher at, well, it's not higher today. It's higher than West Texas. $55.81. That is down half a percentage point. Natural gas is up one and a third percentage points. A gold is down, ooh, <clears throat> well, it's not over a point, but it is down point uh, 69, <laughs> $1,842 going to buy you an ounce of that. Silver is down over a point. Platinum is up almost a point. Copper is up half a point. Let's see, where's my indices? Uh, eh, meh. Dow futures up a quarter of a point. S&P futures up a scant. And S&P mini is up half a point. Enough of that bullshit. Real money. $38,078 for Bitcoin. Looks like we're back in the saddle, at least for the short term. <clears throat> I have a low over at, by the way, that is my high, but I have a low that's going to be over at hit BTC at $37,903. 344,000 transactions have been committed into the uh, going around the horn for the last 24 hours. That's 14,300 transactions per hour on average. Now, here's the kicker. Only half a million BTC have been sent in that last 24 hours. That's a thing, man. Before Christmas, I'm going to reiterate this in case you didn't get it in the last show. I was seeing... I was getting to the point where I was used to, I was definitely used to seeing over a million Bitcoin being sent sent in 24 hours. I had started, I started warming up to 2.5 million, 2.3 million, 2.2 million, 1.8 million, getting into the higher numbers of, 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 uh, Bitcoins being, of Bitcoin being sent in transactions within a 24 hour period. And not anymore. I'm actually starting to warm up to lower numbers of BTC being sent as transactions. And I'm not all that upset about it. Why? If you were settling a shit ton of money before Christmas, it takes a lot less Bitcoin to settle that same shit ton of money today. Let that sink in. Think about the ramifications of that and the possibilities. I don't know them all. I'm not saying that I do. I'm having to think about the ramifications and the potentialities of what that actually means. What does it mean for fees? Will fees actually not spike as much as we think because we're able to settle the same amount of cash with you know, much less Bitcoin? I mean... I don't know. I, I, I think there's knock-on effects that are going to happen because of this, but we are seeing much lower volumes of BTC being sent. I think it points to, I think that that's caused by two things. I think it's caused by a liquidity crisis that is upcoming, probably already here, but we're not actually listing it as a crisis. Uh, and the second thing is, is that we're able to settle much higher amounts of USD equivalencies with 
less bit uh, with the same amount of Bitcoin or the same amount of USD equivalencies with much lower amounts of Bitcoin. So we don't need to send that much Bitcoin around the horn in 24 hours. Be that as it may, <clears throat> I have one and a half BTC is the average transaction value. I have 0 0.022 BTC as the median transaction value. That's about 855 bucks. Block times are back to being low, nine minutes and 17 seconds. 0.85 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And 130.6 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate has increased by 5.1%. We are up to 159 exahashes per second. Oh God, shit coinery is going on. <clears throat> Litecoin is up to almost $150, people. Which, I, am I praising it? No, it's stupid. It's Litecoin. I mean, come on. I like Charlie Lee as a person, but this is just a shit coin. I don't even want to get into Bcash or BSV. Doge, however, I always do Doge, so I'm going to do Doge again. It is still ahead of Ethereum Classic and market capitalization, but it is at 0 0.0085 pennies or cents or, well, actually dollars when you when you get down to it but it's about it's about like 85 percent of one u.s cent that's ridiculous it's a meme coin and yet it's still getting 31,905 transactions on a 24-hour period which means that the only thing that it beats <clears throat> is ethereum classic now clark moody saying that there are 64,147 transactions that are going to have to board 84 blocks to get rid of. Now, there's 18,600,087.9 BTC in the money supply, and at this moment, one BTC will buy you 20.5 ounces of gold. We have captured almost 6% of gold's market cap. We have a 7.9 or 7.9, 709.4 billion dollar valuation. There is 1,043.3 BTC in the Tor side of, or Tor side, in the Lightning Network. And that is about $40 million in value across 8,266 nodes, 36,219 channels. Percentage of Tor capacity has dropped a little bit, 52.4%. That is over 2,993 nodes and uh, represents 546.54 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Let's start this one with banking. Anchorage Bank becomes first federally chartered digital asset bank. Okay, I've never heard of Anchorage, but whatever. I'm sure that they're huge and massive. But ever since the OCC's uh, chairman wrote that letter uh, or the series of letters to bankers, they are now have been, apparently the clarification has been issued and banks are now able to jump in. And this <laughs> these the guys did. Crypto custodian Anchorage has announced the first ever digital bank with a federal charter. <clears throat> the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, held by the crypto-friendly Brian Brooks, has granted the company conditional approval for a national trust charter and the creation of Anchorage Digital Bank. Anchorage announced that they'd applied for the charter late last year, citing the need for sub-custody services in the realm of crypto uh, currencies. That is to say, the charter will allow traditional banks that don't handle crypto to offer Anchorage's services to clients. The company was founded by two former Square employees in 2017 and received $40 million from the likes of Visa and Andreessen Horowitz for its Series B funding round in 2019. Anchorage is the first crypto company to receive a federal charter, though Kraken and Avanti have both received state charters for digital banking services in Wyoming. While the Wyoming Charter enables both Kraken and Avanti to operate nationally, it comes with certain limitations. In granting the first federal charter for a digital asset bank to Anchorage, Brooks's OCC continues to assert itself as one of the country's most crypto-conscious regulatory agencies. And while some lawmakers have criticized Brooks, namely the gang, <clears throat> for putting too much of a focus on cryptocurrencies, the OCC has not changed course. In a recent opinion piece for the Financial Times, Brooks suggested that DeFi protocols automated money management systems for cryptocurrencies might one day be granted federal charters too. Please God don't, not until you clear out all the bullshit. And uh, you know what? I'm just, 
I'm running out of time. I can't rant. Uh, five stories that suggest crypto is moving into the ludicrous territory. These are fun. Turner Wright is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> The Bitcoin bull run may have slowed since the price retreated from $42,000 last week, but the pace of absurd crypto stories has sped up. (laughs) Dogecoin is up 163% and listed on three new exchanges. The joke cryptocurrency that will not quit Dogecoin apparently doesn't need Elon Musk's help to maintain interest among crypto holders. This week, the token was listed on exchanges FTX and Huobi Futures with no apparent explanation. Jesus, oh my God. The price of Doge has risen 163% in the past month as newcomers <coughs> entered the market to $0.0087 at the time of publication. <coughs> Lindsay Lohan wants to drive Lambos to the moon. Many initial coin offerings in 2017 brought with them a number of celebrity endorsements who haven't really shown their faces in the crypto sphere since. For example, example, Steven Seagal, Paris Hilton, and Floyd Mayweather. Well, actress Lindsay Lohan appeared to be in a crypto promotional video this week mentioning Ether and Bitcoin and telling people to drive your Lambos to the moon. We suspect her fascination with crypto lasted about as long as the video took to shoot. Crypto influencer Ivan on Tech became an instant meme thanks to his hilarious video where he told view- viewers to respect the pump multiple times and even invoked Star Wars by saying, let the pump be with you. The social media star ended up saying pump at least 12 times in under a minute. Pump, pump, pump. <clears throat> Regulators have also taken notice of the growing demand for Bitcoin during the recent rally and responded in the time-honored manner. New Zealand's Financial Markets Authority uh, issued a warning to crypto users on Monday saying they should be prepared to lose all of their money, referring to cryptocurrencies as high-risk and highly volatile assets. The UK's Financial Conduct Authority made a similar statement calling on people to be aware of the risks of cryptocurrency. That's not exactly ludicrous, but this one is. Marin Altman, a self-described astrologer, author, and entrepreneur, has been telling her Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube followers that star charts can help predict the price movements of cryptocurrencies. Well, why not? She made waves on social media in December by saying it was a good time to buy XRP due to astrology. Her recent predictions on Bitcoin have to be seen to be believed, and they give a video. I don't have time to do that right now. I won't. But less than two months ago, Bitcoin hadn't even broken through the $20,000 barrier. Now the crypto asset is regularly featured in major news outlets above the fold, and Google searches are once again approaching their all-time high. The craziness is only going to increase from here. Yeah, no shit. Now, sad news, Bitcoin wallet firm Ledger discovers the full extent of the hack. Did did they, or are they going to come out later on and say it's even bigger than that shit? But as of January the 13th, Robert Stevens is writing for Decrypt.co and says, A Parisian hardware wallet company Ledger has disclosed the personal details of a further 20,000 customers were exposed following a security breach of its database, bringing the total affected to 292,000 people. I'll say that again. The total now affected is 292,000 people. In a blog post today, Ledger has announced intentions to update its data privacy policies to minimize future harm and put out a bounty of 10 Bitcoin for anyone who can rumble with the hacker. The post disclosed the full extent of the timeline of the data breach, which started as early as April 2020 and affected approximately 300,000 users. The breach, the company found out last month, was due to a rogue member of the support team of Shopify, the the e-commerce company that handles Ledger sales. Between April and June 2020, those rogue agents used their API access to obtain transactional records of customers, including Ledger's. Ledger got wise to the breach when a researcher emailed it on uh, July 14, 2020. It found that about 1 million email addresses were stolen, as well as about 10,000 records of personal information, which includes postal addresses, names, and phone numbers. Now, guys, um, yeah, we may really want to, I'm just pausing here for a second. We may really, 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 really consider getting a post office box. Now, I've done that. It, in 
I'm going to tell you straight up, does that automatically mean that nobody can find out your information? No. Why? What if they hacked the post office? Huh? Did you ever think about that? I mean, it's like, I, they know who I am. They know my, they know my, the post office knows my postal address. When I go into the post office and say, Hey buddy, I want a PO box. They say, sure. Who the hell are you? And I give them my driver's license and I have to fill out a form and I actually have to give them like a voter ID. I have to, you have to get in the United States for a post office box, at least in my neck of the woods, you got to give one photo ID and one non-photo ID. So I chose driver's license and uh, voter registration. <clears throat> they know where I live. I guarantee it. However, it does not mean to not get a post office box. Why? Cause they're freaking cheap. And two, the hacker would actually have to be have to hack two different places for you to be able to, or for them to be able to know exactly where you live. It's not impossible, but it does make it one step harder. The harder you can make it, the better off you are. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> but it wasn't until December 2020 that Ledger understood more about the attack, which it discovered leaked information about 272,000 customers. Now, a month later, Shopify informed Ledger that details of a further 20,000 customers were leaked. Databases get leaked all the time, but particularly sensitive is the information about the address and contact details of people known to hold a lot of money. Curious about the whereabouts of an obnoxious venture capitalist who tweets about their Bitcoin fortunes? Check the data dump. Newly minted decentralized finance projects that entrust just a few people with, to their funds and ledger wallets? Yep, they're in the dump. Customers receiving phishing emails were concerned that they would become targets for things like home invasions. Ledger CEO Pascal Galther told Decrypt last month, quote, even though it's a possibility and we don't deny it's a possibility, it's not the highest possibility that this will happen. The database has been out since June and no one has ever reported any attack of this sort, end quote. And I say, not yet, you assholes. Ledger said today that it is deeply sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm deeply sorry that these incidents occurred and for any pain or stress they've caused our customers, you should add will cause as well, because I guarantee you this shit is not over. Ledger said it is working with law enforcement and blockchain forensics firms to trace the hacker and has created a bounty fund of 10 Bitcoin for information leading to successful arrest and prosecution. The company will also update its privacy policy. It aims to completely delete the personal data of customers and urge third-party providers to keep this data for a short, short a period of time as necessary. Additionally, that's ridiculous. Additionally, it will silo data it requires to it, that it requires to keep for a long time. <clears throat> I wish they'd say how. These attacks have only strengthened our resolve to build and release products that keep you and your crypto safe, it said. All right, look. I get the fact that you're going to delete your data, but begging a third-party uh, you know, vendor to delete the data that they share with you because that, that that's whatever data that they need to be able to do business with you. Yeah, no, that's a trusted third party. Trusted third parties are security holes. As long as somebody has that data, you cannot be sure that that data will be deleted, destroyed, in some ways, in, in, in this other case, quote unquote, siloed. Like I said, how? In what? Are you going to put a whole bunch of disk drives in a fucking cryogenic tube and sink it into the ice in the, into the Arctic Ocean? Because short of doing that, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that I completely agree that I'm going to be safe. I don't know, man. This is why I like Novak. After like seven days or so, he completely deletes it. But then again, I'm trusting Novak. I like Rodolfo. I've seen him like act in, you know, some fairly cool ways. I don't, I, I'd, I'd have to, I would have had to grow up with the man as a child and we would have to be regularly beer drinking partners for me to go, you know what? I completely trust this dude. What happens if somebody breaks into his ship before he gets a chance to delete it? I, I'm just saying, but see, that's the problem. You need some of this data. I got to be able to, like, if if I want to sell something online and you want to buy it, I have to be able to deliver it to you. 
And unless I'm going to get long-range, transatlantic, trans-Pacific-capable uh, drones that I myself can send to you to a set of GPS coordinates, I'm going to need your mailing address. But I guarantee you, one of these days, that phone of yours, <clears throat> that phone of yours will be your mailing address because Amazon or somebody is going to figure out a way for you to be able to receive a package anywhere on the planet from anywhere on the planet via your GPS coordinates on your phone. Scary as shit, I know, but it's probably going to happen. So the programmer has two more password guesses left before losing $266 million worth of Bitcoin. <clears throat> this is Marie Juliet writing for Cointelegraph when, oh, sometime this morning. A German-born programmer in San Francisco has now used up eight of 10 password attempts he has to unlock the hard drive containing the private keys to his Bitcoin wallet, <clears throat> which contains 7,000 BTC. As of press time, those holdings would be worth $268 million, that is, if they were only accessible. As a New York Times profile on January 12th outlined, Stefan Thomas used, uh, uses a hard drive called an iron key but lost the paper on which he wrote down the password for the device, quote, years ago. If Thomas fails to remember it, <clears throat> 10 failed guesses will result in the drive encrypting its contents forever. He has so far tried eight guesses with no luck. Quote, I would just... I would just lay in bed and think about it. Then I would go to the computer with some new strategy and it wouldn't work and I would be desperate again, end quote. Nearly 20% of all existing Bitcoin, which is right now 18.5 million BTC, is thought to have been lost for good in so-called stranded wallets, according to Chainalysis data. Thomas is not alone in his self-avowed desperation. Los Angeles entrepreneur Brad Yassar told the Times that over the years, I would say I've spent hundreds of hours trying to get back into inaccessible wallets. Yassar has stored away his hard drives in vacuum-sealed bags so that he is no longer reminded every day that what I have now is a fraction of what I could have what I could have that I have lost. Oh God, that hurts. Neither story is uncommon. Wallet Recovery Services, a company that specializes in recovering lost digital keys, reportedly gets 70, 70 requests each day from clients seeking help. The number is three times higher than it was before the bull market. Thomas's experience has apparently turned him off the concept of a technology that places the onus on individual users to take their finances into their own hands with all the freedom and risks that it entails. Having originally received 7,000, <clears> this says 7,000, actually, yeah, this is a typo, 7,002 BTC as a gift in exchange for producing a video to educate people about the currency. He's now skeptical about leaving users with that degree of control. Quote, this whole idea of being your own bank, let me put it this way. Do you make your own shoes? <laughs> the reason we have banks is that we don't want to deal with all the things that banks do. Hmm? Okay, that's that's a fair assessment, guy. Aside from his extraordinary losses, Thomas nonetheless held on to enough Bitcoin over the years to make a fortune. He is reportedly so wealthy that he barely knows what to do with it. Well, then why are you bitching? To paraphrase the report, he also later joined Ripple and acquired XRP. Okay, I'm fucking done. I'm done. I am done. I mean, it's like you deserve everything you get after that. Screw you. Screw you. Screw you. Screw you. Freaking XRP bullshit. Oh, God, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, I don't have a daily train wrecked, although what I just read you should probably have been the train wrecked, but be that as it may, I do got a good joke for you from Dad Says Jokes. My wife asked me to put ketchup on the shopping list, and now I can't read anything. Mmm, that's some nice dad joke. Okay, being your own bank sucks. I get it. I really do. But, um, you know, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, the guy's into XRP, so I just kind of blew him off. But let's say he wasn't into XRP and didn't piss me off. My heart would go out to him. However, I mean, what do you want? I guess here's the question. How do you want to lose your money? All at once? or a slow bleed out over time. I'm sure that most of you would say, well, duh, you idiot, the second one. But the effect is the same. 
I mean, you get a pittance, you know, you get to sit, you know, spend a pittance of your shit every year only to watch it, you know, dwindle again the next year. You know, my, my, like they, they're saying that there has been, you know, no real change in the cost of, of going to the grocery store. Bullshit. It has for me. I don't, if it hasn't for you, I don't know where the fuck you're shopping at. Tell me because my grocery bill has increased substantially, shockingly since this whole COVID nonsense has come out. Don't tell me, don't tell me that we're not getting fleeced. So whether you keep your money in your bank or you lose it all in the landfill, you're going to lose it. I mean, if you're going to lose your money, you're going to lose your money. At least you get the chance to say shit was my fault. And you're not standing there like a, like a chump outside of the Capitol building going, where's my money? At least, at least you have, at least you can die with some fucking dignity. Okay. Use and learn how to hold your money. I may lose Bitcoin. It could happen. And I will be, I would be so sad. I I might end up in a, in a depressive state if, if it were to happen. I need to figure out a better way to, to make sure that that shit doesn't happen. I got to really work on backups. I've got to really work on, you know, multi-sig. I've got a lot to learn. We all do. But we're going to be the ones that offers these services to the masses later. We can build businesses off of this. It's like, don't think of it as, oh my God, one more thing I got to do. No, it's one more opportunity that's been presented to you. It's not one more thing you have to do. It's one more opportunity you can leverage to do something with your life other than what you're doing. Are you working in a cubicle right now and hate everybody around you? I used to work in a cubicle and I loved everybody around me, but even that job got stale. It was a great job and I really liked it, but it was going to go south no matter what I did because things change. The only thing that, you know, if, if you're going to, if you want to get out on your own and do something, then use this, learn, learn, learn multi-sig, you know, set yourself up like, and do it so well that you have no problem setting yourself up as a contractor to help companies custody their own shit in a multi-sig faction, you know, fashion. It, it, it's not, it's not that the onus is upon you to do this. The prospect of being able to do something else with your life in this space is upon you. Think about it that way. Now, before we uh, end this, I want—I forgot to talk about uh, MOA.party. I don't know what was going on with my MOA.party thing, but it seems to be working again. For those of you who are asking, what the hell is MOA? M-O-A dot P-A-R-T-Y is a cross is a cross posting. It's not even a plugin, okay? It's not an extent. It's not really an extension. Well, it kind of is. It kind of. Well, you know what? Just forget it. I can link Mastodon to Twitter, and Twitter to Mastodon. I can also connect to Instagram, but that part seems to be disabled for right now. What does it allow me to do? It allows me to post on Mastodon, and it automatically reposts whatever whatever I tweet. Whatever I uh, tooted on Macedon gets tweeted on Twitter to some fairly good effect. It'll take over pictures. If I post a video, it'll, t- it'll take over the video, but not if it exceeds the length that Twitter allows on, on their videos. So you got to be a little careful. <clears throat> um, if I tweet on Twitter, it will cross post over to Mastodon. And there are some, I'm going to do a video about it today, okay, and, and post it up to my Mastodon tutorial series. Uh, so you be uh, looking at about a couple of hours, and, and that should be out. Um, and that, again, is pinned to my profile page on Mastodon. But anyway, Moa.party seems to be working again, and it's working very well. There are some issues about this that you have to understand. <clears throat> if I post something that is just horrendously offensive and calls for violence on Mastodon, I'm not going to get removed. I'll be I'll be listed by more block list as alt right. I guarantee that, but I'm not going to be I'm not going to be banned. And even if Novak bans me off of his instance, I can start my own instance. I'm not going to get banned off of Mastodon. It's almost impossible. Actually, I think it is impossible because the 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 code I can just run my own instance of Mastodon. But in either event. If I've got Moa Party turned on and I say like something like hang all some ethnic group here, 
kill all some other ethnic group here. If I put that into a Mastodon too, and I'm not going to because I don't believe that shit, but let's just say I'm just using it as, a, as an example. Let's say I toot that shit out. I will get banned off Mastodon, but it will go populate to my Twitter feed and I will get banned off of Twitter. And that will happen even if I go check Twitter or not. You need to be aware of this shit. Also, <clears throat> just in is sort of like in the antithet in the uh, uh, vice versa state, any placating milk toast bullshit that you post on Twitter is going to be laughed at by all your friends on Macedon for being a milk toast placating piece of shit. Okay, so just be aware. <laughs> That sword cuts both ways, but not in the same direction. With that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. 